Could it be that sexuality could reveal the heart of God? Find out on this episode of Inverse. Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Hey everyone, this is Inverse, and my name is Justin Kim, and we're so happy that you're with us in the studio. We have Siku, Israel, and Sebastian, and we are looking in a Bible study on the topic of biblical sexuality. So we want to give you a little bit of heads up and a warning that if you have minors or this topic ain't your cup of tea for now, that uh, you want to put this on pause and fast forward uh, to to another episode. <laughs> so uh, we're going to get into, into this topic in Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16 under the rubric of beyond sexuality. I want to ask you, Siku, uh, before we have prayer, what are some things that you remember from this quarter? We're in episode 12. Well, we're almost wrapping up here and mm-hmm. we've covered a lot. A lot of mountains, a lot of valleys, and a lot of lakes in between. And uh, what are some, some sites that you remember? Um, I, think, I think something that was important was just the description of what biblical sexuality looks like. Mm. Um, so that biblical sexuality... According to the Bible, sexuality is good. It is. It requires um, elements of sameness between the, the individuals who are involved, elements of difference between them. Um, that it 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 takes more than one person, i.e., two. But then it also brings those two people together as one. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the five elements of biblical sexuality that come out, and then you know aberrations from that become deviations from what the Bible mm-hmm. um, teaches. Mm-hmm. And if you're curious uh, about some of these these principles, you can go to inversebible.org and catch up. And uh, I think in between episodes three to about episode eight is is episode four to nine. Anyway, we'll watch all of them, <laughs> and you'll get you'll catch up where we are in episode twelve. So Sebastian, if you can pray for us, and we'll get into scripture right afterwards. Sure, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have covered so much by way of principles and and guidance that is much needed. And Lord, we pray today that as we think beyond sexuality and its spiritual and prophetic ramifications and instruction in our lives, Lord, we trust that this may help to deepen our own relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, We love you and we thank you for hearing and for answering this prayer. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we are in Ezekiel chapter 16, and Israel can read verses 60 to 63, please. It says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger sisters, for I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I provide you an atonement for all that you have done, says the Lord God. Okay, thank you. So we are... um uh, talking about this topic of sexuality, and it's it's very very interesting that the Bible does not hold back 
from some of the risqueness associated with this topic. Right. Yeah? Yeah. And sometimes within the church and sometimes Christians, we, we don't want to go where God has gone. Yeah. And hopefully this discussion has been an efficacious discussion, a topic for you all watching. And we're trying to kind of uh, be sensitive with that line. We want to address what the Bible addresses, but treat this as a holy topic. But we know this topic has been, has been on every other channel uh, uh, out there. And we want to treat it with, with the respect that, that the, and the sensitivity that, that it needs. But when you go to chapter 16 of Ezekiel, um, the Bible does, does mention sexuality. So um, share, share with us, what is the context of chapter 16 and, and what's going, going on here? Um, God, God is talking to His people. He's mm-hmm. talking to um, the children of Israel. And he, he starts off at the beginning of the chapter and he's talking about the beginnings of their relationship. Yep. Um, and it, he likens it to, in, in that context, to, to the love that, I guess, a parent would have for a child who's adopted. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like you find this child on the side of the street and, and the child is, there's nothing desirable about this child. You know, you're not, you're not taking the child in because they're like amazing or they're like so cute and cuddly. And, but, but God takes Israel as his own people. Mm-hmm. Um, so he adopts them as his people out of his love for them. Mm-hmm. And, and he invests in, in them in, the, in that relationship. Um, so God talks about the relationship that he has with these people as something that he initiates, mm-hmm. um, not for the merit of the people that he takes as his own, but out of his great love for them. Mm-hmm. As this child grows up, the way that they respond to the way that God has treated them is is disproportionate. It doesn't. It kind of doesn't sync up. So he's talking about. I guess it's his grievance in the situation where he has invested so much in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, he has loved, but then the response that he gets is not one that you would expect from mm-hmm. what God has been putting mm-hmm. in. Well, this chapter has about 63 verses, and CQ, you described really, this, there's, a, there's a really a self-contained narrative in chapter 16. Uh, when I read the, read over chapter 16, it seems like there's different kind of loves that are mentioned. As you said, in the beginning, there's a kind of a parental love. There's this kid, a, a baby in the middle of the road, and he just kind of takes care of it. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of transitioned into a, not a parental love, but a romantic love. Mm-hmm. Then it goes into a, a sacrificial love, and and a God, God kind of, you know, Lord, servant love. Uh, but it's all kind of compositely looked at here, okay? But there, the, the, there's, some, there's some harsh parts in here. There's some, there's risque parts. Uh, what, what's going on there, Israel? Yeah, well, the first, one of the first scenes that is very, you know, captivating is how, how it is that the, this individual encounters the baby. In verse 6, it says, I passed by you, and I saw you struggling in your own blood. Mm. And I said to you, in your blood, live. Yes, and I said unto you, in your own blood, live. And so you have this concept of not just any kind of baby, but a baby that's like in the worst condition possible, mm-hmm. found in the middle of the road, covered in its own blood, ready ready to die. And in that encounter, God sees that person and and takes it in, right? Adopts it, as Siku said, as, their, as, as his own child. And it, it portrays a picture of the condition of an individual that is without God. Right. There's nothing in us as human beings that make us valuable. 
mm. uh, outside of the very breath of God in mm. us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're really we're made we're made up of essentially we're made up of dirt, and and it was God's intention that the value that we received, even though Adam and Eve were beautiful in their in in their form, they were still worthless, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until the breath of God was instilled in them that they became valuable. And so right. this is the, the similar to the condition outside of the fact that this individual comes and adopts this baby, she's a worthless child ready to die, mm-hmm. you know, in her own blood. Okay, this child is, is I, w- I want to kind of mo- right, push yeah, through because this is a long narrative. And I know you guys <laughs> right. want it, but we got to yeah. keep going. Okay, so just, uh, I think it, it kind of pushes the narrative okay. in verse 14. Mm-hmm. It, 14? It, it goes with the point that Israel is saying, your fame, he's talking about this child, your fame went out okay. among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, mm-hmm. which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. Mm-hmm. So, so you have this worth now, but it's a worth that is bestowed on you by God. Mm-hmm. And then the contrast comes in verse 15. But, mm-hmm. but you trusted in your own beauty, mm-hmm. played the harlot because of your fame, and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. Mm-hmm. And it's like. I, I invested all of this, and the reason that you have this beauty is because of me. The reason you have this fame is because of me. The reason you are who you are, like anything that is meritorious that you have, is because of me. But then you take those gifts that I have invested in you, and you play the harlot. Like you, you, yes. you, you waste them on frivolous relationships that have no meaning. Yes. You know, like mm-hmm. playing the harlot is not just you had an affair. Like you're going out on the streets and just. Anybody that comes around, you're like... Well, just it says here, then in verse 22, In all your abominations and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth. And it can, goes down and mm-hmm. actually describes each of her lovers, in, the, in the, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Verse 26, you committed harlotry with the Egyptians. Verse 27, in the middle there, the daughters of the Philistines were ashamed of your lewd behavior. Verse 28, you also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Mm-hmm. Indeed, you played a harlot with them and were still not satisfied. Verse 29, moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of the traitor Chaldea, and even then you are not satisfied. Verse 30, how degenerate is your heart, seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this isn't, she's not only flirting with people, this is a this is a, a sexual encounter, like uh, with all these, now not literally, but now this this country of the people of Israel are, are, are worshiping the gods of all these people around. Correct. But God uses harlotry as a means medium to convey what, Sebastian? Well, he's using it to convey the spiritual infidelity and unfaithfulness mm. to the covenant that we've entered into with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we did a whole season on covenant. So whenever I see that word, mm-hmm. I get semi-excited and then also nervous that, you know, can take us off a whole different direction. Mm-hmm. But this idea that God promised to do all these things for her and what we're seeing in this story, as we looked at in our series on the covenants, he did all these things for her. Mm-hmm. And the only response should have just been gratitude mm-hmm. and faithfulness to that. Mm-hmm. Just remain in a relationship with me. And we looked at that in our series on abiding. Mm-hmm. But yet her, her response was, I'm just going to become unfaithful to the faithfulness of God. Mm-hmm. I'm going to respond to the goodness of God by bringing corruption to the table. It's like, well, you've been good. Well, what, what are you going to bring? Oh, no, I'm, I'm actually going to go out. I'm good here and I'm moving on. And one verse I wanted to just highlight yes, please. Um, here in uh, chapter 16, it says that when you when you look at uh, beginning in verse 35, 
it says, sorry, verse 34, you are the opposite of other women in your harlotry because no one solicited you to be a harlot Mm -hmm. and that you gave payment, but no payment was given you. Therefore, you are the opposite. Mm -hmm. So basically it costs you to be unfaithful, right? You paid. That's how like super extreme. And then now like uber extreme on top of that, instead of being paid, she's giving out payments to men for to have which you're like, this doesn't even make any sense. And and that's why God uses it as such a appropriate metaphor and analogy for unfaithfulness to him to capture and arrest the human attention of Mm -hmm. what we are doing to the heart of God, Mm -hmm. what we are responding to the goodness of God in our own lives when we are unfaithful. Mm -hmm. And the reality is we are doing doing the same thing. We will pay to be unfaithful to God. Mm. We will go out of our way to be unfaithful to God. Our time, our money, our energy, our vital life force, whatever it is. The losses on our end. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Rather than us gaining anything in exchange. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a very, a very extreme uh, situation here. Uh, we see there's one motif that's repeated all throughout. Verse 22, you did not remember. We go to verse 43, you did not remember. And it's uh, this this girl, this woman, this, this partner, she's not really remembering where she comes from. When we come back after the break, we're going to look at another story that God uses and tells his prophet to act out to convey his heart and the hurt and the passion that he feels and the injustice that he has. So this is Inverse. You're watching me, Justin Kim. Stay with us after the break. Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. Welcome back. We're looking at some extreme stories that we really would not recommend that you share with your children for 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 a morning or evening vespers program. Uh, this is chapter sixteen. Is an extreme, and that, uh, I really take my takeaway. I really sense the injustice of God, uh, and not based on like this isn't fair, but on the hurt, uh, this hurt heart that He has. Yes. Now there is another story that He tells one of His prophets to to do. He tells His prophets to act out some of these things. Uh, some of them are kind of interesting. Uh, he tells one prophet to lie on one side for many days, on the other side for another day. He tells mm-hmm. another one to punch another prophet in the face. And just some interesting acted out prophecies, uh, one of which is found in, in the book of Hosea. So, Israel, what's happening in the book of Hosea? Well, God tells Hosea to do what probably no other individual would do <laughs> in, in their right mind. And that is to voluntary, voluntarily marry a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And for him to experience what God experiences when we are not faithful to him. Mm-hmm. Again, another uh, passage that's not normative for our behavior, right? Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that we should be doing it. That's right. Like polygamy and like a prophet marrying a harlot. Yes. Right. So, uh, Sebastian, tell us about this story here. Well, you have a situation where God is using this marriage relationship to illustrate to his people what they are doing to him and to recognize the shock and awe that the universe has regarding how they're treating him as they're having the shock and awe about Hosea and the woman. Mm -hmm. But the greatest shock of the story 
is about the pursuit of the prophet for his wife, regardless of her behavior. Yeah. That is the greatest shock of the story. And one of the key words in the book that comes from the Hebrew word yada, which means to know on an intimate level, right, is constantly repeated that these people are perishing for a lack of knowledge and you don't know the Lord is constantly what he repeats throughout the book. So she's being intimate with all these other people. She's yadaing, so to speak, all these other lovers, except for the one who has been faithful to her and pursues her even when she's running out and everyone else is thinking you should just leave this person. Mm. And it, it takes me back to a conversation. I was uh, on a flight to Germany and the gentleman sitting next to me was saying how he was um, in the middle of a divorce with his wife. And essentially the, the circumstances were that his wife had contacted like a spiritual medium guide and the guide was like, it's time for you to move on to your next marriage to phase three or whatever. And so he was like, what is this? Like came out of nowhere. And he has three kids and he's going to his kids and the, he's telling his kids, like, you know, I want to be faithful to your mom. And his kids are like, dad, like what mom is doing to you, like you just need to leave her. Like you need to let it go and you you need to move on. Mm. And I could just hear in his heart exactly what God is saying in Hosea, mm. because he just wants to believe that he could regain what he had lost with his wife. Mm -hmm. Because he told his kids before you were ever born, she was my best friend. She was the one we went through all the, I remember bringing you from the hospital. I remember having dinner and Christmases like, and that to me is where God's heart is bleeding in the book of Hosea. Mm -hmm. It's like he remembers that and he's trying to regain that again. And it's amazing because, you know, when you think about your own personal life and your own marriage, there's nothing that would be more hurtful mm -hmm. than the betrayal of that marriage covenant, mm -hmm. right? And more than just because it's a covenant, more than more, there's more to it than just, oh, because we made a deal and you broke the contract, right. I'm pained by that. You're pained by that because of the intimacy that you experience with each mm -hmm. other. No one knows you more than your, than your spouse knows you. Yep. Your spouse has been a part of every aspect of your life. Mm -hmm. And to have that betrayal, that's the one thing that uh, most people cannot handle. Right? right. It's like, look, I will go through anything except this with you. This is <laughs> real grounds for us to break up forever. Yep. And yet you have within that very same context, you have someone who will not give up. Right. Someone who will, even though the other individual not only wants out, but will continue to show how much out they want, mm. they will continue to pursue this picture. Yeah. And I think, or, or this, this uh, road. And what's crazy about this whole thing is that it, God is trying to tug at the heart of us as human beings to say, look, imagine what physical adultery feels like. That's what it would feel like, or that's the closest thing I can, I can use to communicate to you how much it breaks my heart whenever you are unfaithful to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So much so that you would be willing to go to pay, you know, uh, to do, to go out, of, to take a personal loss, right. to damage the relationship in which I have given so much for because of my love for you. I don't like, think it would have the same impact. I don't, I don't think it would bring the same force. Mm -hmm. And going back to Israel's point, without that motif as the metaphor, the analogy that mm -hmm. God would use, you wouldn't understand the vulnerability that is required for the betrayal to even take place. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how vulnerable must God be to have exposed himself to actually be like, you're my people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once you do that, you're in, you committed the whole world, right? You delivered them from Egypt. Like you opened the Red Sea. You said manna from heaven. So everybody's like, those are the Lord's people like Rahab. We all know about you. We know the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. And for you to put yourself in that place, 
there is no other metaphor. Mm. It's not like a parent and a child. It's not like a friend and a friend, right? It's not like a brother and a brother, right? It's not a grandparent and a grandchild. Like the only relationship that really exposes the depth of that pain that that betrayal brings is that relationship. And we all intuitively know that, which is why for a person who is taking sexuality as seriously as the Bible presents it to be, when you get to that place where you're at that level of intimacy, you are all in. All chips are in the middle of the table. And if you're going to go to that place for someone to betray you, it's it's complete damage and devastation. Mm-hmm. Right. This is not like, a OK, I see how you made a mistake. I see how this unfolded. This is like I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. How do I trust you again? How do I even touch you again? How do I even sit down and have breakfast with you? Because yeah. the only thing coming to my mind is the betrayal. <laughs> it's like, yeah. we're not the same. So without, without the, the sexual element within these two narratives, the heart of God would not be accurately revealed. Right. It, it would not be, it, it, God is communicating something. Yes. And, and, and the fact that God uses uh, these stories to communicators, what does that reveal about, about, about God's character? What, what, what kind of God is this? Yeah. Um Well, one thing that comes to my mind is the fact that God wants to try and help us to understand. Mm. Um, I I think we've we've used the term before about God making himself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, But to try to help us to understand, like whether it's from the beginning in creating humanity and and so that humanity has has some insight into the Godhead. all the way through, you find throughout Scripture, God is just trying to reveal Himself to mm-hmm. us. He's trying to open Himself up mm-hmm. to us, and and this this idea of He knows us, but He wants to be known mm-hmm. of us, mm-hmm. and that that self revelation. I think it's I mean it's it's a powerful thing for the God of the universe, which I think a lot of religions struggle with. Yeah. That such an Almighty Being would seek to be to reveal Himself in that way, because mm-hmm. He doesn't owe us that, mm-hmm. and. Yet yet he condescends to desire that relationship where he doesn't just know us, but we get to know him as mm-hmm. well. Uh, it's just a very great irony that in the Old Testament, what I often think is like this is a very stoic God, and he's just you know, unemotional, and you just throw lightning and, and right. you know, laws. But we actually see a very ferociously passionate, robust, just just a, this emotional God who's so hurt, who's so wanting to be with his people, but they don't want. So he's just doing everything he can to communicate, to feel, and you see a very emotional God in the midst of all these laws and narratives and, and right. the anger. The anger reveals a lot. It, does, it doesn't cause me to be scared of him. It causes me, man, he's, he's actually that accessible in my human experience. Absolutely. It, it reminds me of, I remember growing up, I had a, a, a good friend of mine who was three years older. And my middle name is Jamal, but his first name was Jamal. So because of him, I used to be called Little J. And I remember, you know, we would play uh, football and, you know, that could be a very rough sport as a kid. And I remember getting like manhandled by this kid and like Jamal getting upset, like in the middle of the game and just literally going after this kid, like, yo, leave him alone. Like, you need to chill out. Like, it's just a game. Mm. And just to see the fury in his eyes, the moment he felt like I was injured, the moment he felt like I was in a place where someone was trying to dominate me, that just brings you closer to the person. Like, yo, like, and I started laughing. I'm like, I thought you were going to kill the guy. Like, he, and he's like, yo, man, it was just not right. Like, for him, it wasn't even like a intense moment. It was just like, this is the right thing to do. Like, yeah. this is my friend. And you see 
the fury in God's eyes to go even to Hosea, um, the story of him going to repurchase his wife, right? At a public auction, like, mm. you're just like, what? And recognizing like that's what's happening at the cross. Yeah. That's the redemption. Like God is coming to public auction to buy back what was already rightfully his and the fury in his eyes. Like we don't really see Calvary that way. Yeah. But Hosea helps us to see that Calvary is the fury in the eyes of God, that he's willing to sacrifice his own son. Like I'll pay everything I got Yeah. in order to reclaim this. To me, I, I see that intensity there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. oftentimes we have to also understand that when we're reading these narratives, the person who's chasing the woman is not is not uh, is not some creepy guy that could not get married otherwise, right? right? <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like like the God of the universe is right. the, the God of the universe literally has. It, the whole entire universe worshiping him, wanting to actually experience the intimacy that only we can experience with them as right. a result of the mm. fall. So much so that all of heaven seeks to bring us into closer communion with God than they themselves can know. Right. And yet we are the only, you know, speck of dust in all the world that, that, that though we are found about to die in our blood, grow up, receive the beauty that he invests in us, and then somehow put in our minds that we'd like to try other things. And then this God, who can have any other universe that he wants, right? Any other globe, any other woman that he, that he wants, says, no, I'm going to come back after you. I'm going to come back after you. I'm going to come back after you. So much so that the only thing that really boils down at the end of everything we study, the only thing we can conclude is we can guess, we can measure with the best tools possible the love of God, and we can finally say we understand it. And when we reach that place, we discover we haven't even scratched the surface. Mm, That is the one thing that we can be sure of, that we can imagine in our own minds as crazy as possible, this is what the love of God is, Mm -hmm. and we will fail to communicate that because even Hosea and even Ezekiel (laughs) fails to communicate Mm -hmm. that, and we can't do better than them. Right. And that's what blows me away about the love of God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's power to, 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 to pursue us even when we don't want him to pursue mm-hmm. us. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whew, whew, this is, <laughs> I'm to breathe here. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me, we've we got a, a minute and 45 seconds on the clock here. What are some practical takeaways we can have? I mean, we've been talking high up here, and, and, and uh, my takeaway, I really see that, that, that sexuality is a, it's not the end of all things. Right. It is a vehicle by which God reveals more of himself. Uh, for those of our vis- uh, listeners out there who are watching, what's what's a practical takeaway we can take away, that they can have from after this episode? Siku. Um, I mean, one thing that stood out for me is uh, the, the, the thing that's obviously being stated, but God's love for us yes. and that the only response is to accept it, mm-hmm. you know, like to, to receive what he is trying to invest in us. And in accepting it, respond with gratitude to him, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, going out of our way to do whatever. Accept you know. and be thankful for, for, for God's love. Okay? That's right. I would just say every time you think about being unfaithful to God, imagine what sexual betrayal would feel like. Mm. Like to me, the moment you consider that choice, imagine this is sexual betrayal mm-hmm. in the eyes of God on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
if you look at it that way, you will understand the gravity of any mistake that you're being tempted to make. Mm-hmm. Some heavy topics here, some heavy conclusions, and some heavy insights into the heart of God. We're going to ask you to continue the conversation on our social media accounts uh, under the handle of uh, Inverse Bible. And, and let us know questions, comments, and even more insights to continue our topic on Beyond Sexuality. We're going to continue next week as we look at a last week on the topic of biblical sexuality on healing and looking at purity, pure sexuality. Stay with us uh, from week to week as we continue our topic on biblical sexuality. God bless you. You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jonathan Walter, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by The Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag Inverse Bible. Until next time, this is Inverse.